Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to read again today Psalm 81. It's printed there on page 8 in your bulletin. To the choir master, according to the Gittith of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it's a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, now move in our hearts, we pray as we hear this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I pointed out to you last time, um, you, you've noticed, I'm sure, in your Bibles that there are five books in the book of Psalms, and that is not just some random thing that was added. Those five books, in the way that they're arranged, tell a story. And this psalm, Psalm 81, is in book three of the five. It's in the middle book, and that book is, by some distance, the darkest of the five books in the Psalms. There are 17 psalms in book 3, and they really wrestle from beginning to end with a problem that many of us wrestle with, and that is, why is evil winning? You might remember that book 3 and the the book of Psalms as a whole, it was kind of put together in its final form, probably in the time of the Babylonian exile. And by this time in Israel's history, this question of why is evil winning, I mean, it's really acute, isn't it? Because the wicked, people who don't love God, in fact, they kind of hate God, they have actually taken over in Israel. You know, it's, it's kind of shocking, like kings of this nation, God's nation, they hate the Lord. They want to go worship other gods. And then because of that, eventually, Israel is brought under the domination of wicked foreign powers, like Babylon. So it just seems like evil is, is just plainly winning. And there was this question for the exiles, like, where is God? Things are a mess in the church, you know, among the people of God. And now the enemies of God are just having a field day. And so Psalm 81, like other psalms in Book 3, it goes looking for answers and it goes looking for hope in Israel's history. Now, Psalm 81 was written, as we saw last week, for the Feast of Booths, right? You guys know a little bit about this, I'm sure. The, you've seen maybe the Hasidim in the city when they kind of, you know, bring their little... Box, uh, boxes in the back of their truck or whatever, and they, they sit in that for a little time because it was a time in which Israel was, year by year, to have this big feast for a week where they would all dwell in tents. And it was a time of remembering the wilderness and kind of the problem of the wilderness because the wilderness is the story of how, 
after this grand salvation where God just smashes the gods of Egypt, he smashes the power of Pharaoh, and he releases the slaves, his people, to be his own, they go out and they party for 40 years, right? It's just easy and it's good. No, they go out and they have very trying times, very trying times. In fact, such trying times that there are moments in the wilderness where it feels like the whole thing was for nothing, like maybe it was some kind of sick joke, all this great salvation in Egypt, but now we're going to die of hunger or thirst. But in verse 7 here, at the end of verse 7, Asaph reminds Israel that there in the wilderness, what, what seemed to be a ruin, where they all show up at this place where there is no water, it looks like they're all going to die after all, like almost better to be a living slave than, a, than die and, and rot in the wilderness. But that thing, that, that moment that seemed to be a ruin, we we're told was actually a test. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And God goes on to say in verse 10 that what he was doing in that moment was he was in that waterless waste. He was prompting Israel to turn to him, to open their mouth wide to him, and to receive his provision. That was what it was about. That was, what he was, that was his purpose. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What's really disturbing in this psalm, they wouldn't do it. They would not open their mouths. Selah, that little word that seems to mean pause. It's the only place in the psalm that word is used, pause. They wouldn't do it. And it's good to pause over this scene. You know, hundreds of thousands of people gathered in this place with all their livestock and all their children, and there's no water, and they're just angry. They're just frustrated with God. It's good just to ponder this and to think of a couple of things, to realize that God tests faith. Just think about that for a minute, dear saints. God tests your faith. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're living this right now. God's grace to you, (laughs) God's grace to you will bring surprisingly hard things into your life. And why why does God bring those hard things into your life? Because he wants to expose what you and I really believe. He wants to expose what we really trust in. And so what looks like God holding out on us, these hard things, like, God, why aren't you providing for me? Why are you bringing all this hardship? What God is actually, it's not, it's, what looks like him holding out on us is actually him reaching toward us. It's God moving toward us and and seeking to expose, like, who do you trust? It's good to ponder that, and it's good to ponder Israel's response also at Meribah. You know, as we saw last week, it it was not an awesome response. And what we see here is Israel, you know, God says, here, open your mouth, I'll fill it. And they, they won't. They will, not, they will not open their mouth. What we see is that it is not God who holds out on his people. It is we who hold out on him. Now, beloved, I know some of you are in some really dark places. And if you aren't now, you have been or you will be. And this is very hard to believe when you are, the screws are really being put to you. It is not God who holds out on us. It is we who hold out on him. And Psalm 81 is written because that's not a one-off thing. That wasn't like some weird little episode in the wilderness. This is a recurring problem in Israel's history. And they, you know, that generation at Meribah, they were certainly not the last to go wrong at the crossroads of testing. We still do today. And so I want to take a little more time today with this Selah, pause. And I want, I want to unpack today the, kind of the second half of the psalm for a few minutes. And I want to start with a question. It's an obvious question, like what we've just been saying. If God's plan for you and for me 
is to save us from sin and misery and death. Amen? Is that not God's plan for you? God's plan is to save you and me from sin and misery and death. If that is God's plan, here's the question. Why does he give us such a hard time? Because I've got a brilliant idea. How about you take away the sin, misery, and death? If that's the plan. Why does God give us such a hard time? In fact, it often seems, as you know, like sometimes the seasons of God's greatest blessing in our life will be followed by the times of greatest difficulty. It almost feels like God's kind of setting you up. (laughs) Things are so good, and then they're just so bad. It's weird how that often happens. And even if that's not happening, you all know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that you will always, at every moment in your life in this world, feel that there is such a gap between what God has promised, everything God has promised, and what we're actually living in right now. Between the world as God says it is supposed to be, like you get this out of God's word, not your own head. God says the world's supposed to be a certain way, but what a gap between all that God says the world's supposed to be like that and the way it actually is. And the crazy thing is, it is the way it is right now because God has ordained it to be this way right now. So there's all this that God has said. This is, my, this is how it's supposed to be, but this is how it is, and God has ordained this for me right now. Man, that will sometimes play with your head. And it's not, we've got to be very clear, it's not a gap here between my situation here and now and some Ben Miller fantasy. I mean, that does happen. I have days when this is not my best fantasy life, but that's not the gap I'm talking about. The gap is between our situation and what God has told us to hunger for. And that restlessness in that gap, that is just very real. Selah. Selah. Ponder that. It's strange how many Christians are caught off guard by this. One of my major things that I have to do as a pastor is come alongside saints whom God is giving a hard time and try to help them get over the fact that this scandalizes them to the point where some Christians just walk away from God altogether. I'm so done with a God who would do this to me. And you want to say, where have you been? Do you read your Bible? Because this is kind of a thing, <laughs> this gap, this testing. But why? If we, if we know that God is perfect and we know God loves perfection, then why not make things perfect? In fact, you almost feel at times, and you have to be careful because your heart can get very like, rebellious in this. You can almost wonder, you know, do I want what's perfect more than God does? Why the hard times? Well, there's an initial answer in verses 8 through 13. It's just an initial answer, but it's important to stop and notice at least the the beginning of the answer here. In verses 8 through 13, what we see here is that God is working, as He brings these hard, trying times into our life to test our faith, He is working to elicit from us a very particular response. It's used four times in these verses You see what it is? This is the first thing God is looking for. It's the first thing he's trying to elicit from us as he brings these hard times. Listen to me. Hear, verse 8. Israel, if you would but listen. Verse 11, my people didn't listen. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me. God, the first thing God is after when he brings hard trying times is he wants you to listen. Now, I got to say, this is a pastoral observation, and I'm talking about me too, so don't feel particularly judged here. 
listening is not usually what happens when God turns up the heat. That is not usually what happens when God turns up the heat. And you know what I'm talking about here. Whether it is, you know, the kind of trouble that just shoots up through the floorboards of your life out of nowhere, or whether it's the kind of trouble that just grinds you down over time, whether it is some kind of private anguish that you're wrestling with, or whether it's, you know, evils that are afoot in the public sphere, whatever it is that is trying you, the reality is, under pressure, we don't listen, we react. That's the instinctive thing to do. When God turns up the pressure, turns up the heat, we react. You know, Israel, have you brought us out here to kill us with thirst? Or something comparable? In fact, you know, you you have no idea how reactive you actually are until you're under pressure. (laughs) You know, I I feel like a super Christian when I'm, you know, when, when things are on cruise control. You don't have any idea. I have no idea how weak my faith is until God turns up the heat. I have no idea how the unsanctified stuff in my soul until God cranks up the pressure. This is why we kind of roll our eyes, you know, at untested people. You, you know, and, and, and we mean no offense for you, those of you who are young, but when a young person talks about how they're just going to kill it their whole life long, you know, those of us who have been through a number of storms realize, you know, you're going to get clobbered, and then we'll see. You know, it's kind of King Ahab's famous line, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off, right? You have no idea what a mess you are until God screws down the pressure. Now, to be clear, when I say we react, we don't listen, we react. I'm not saying, please don't hear this, don't don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that there's not a place for assessing things in a crisis and acting decisively. I'm not saying this is just passive. But the number one thing God is after, saint, brother, sister, the number one thing your God is after when he brings need or loss or pain or peril or enemies into your situation, the number one thing he wants is that you would turn to him and stay turned to him and compose yourself before him. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by water alone. Man lives by the word of God. I need God to speak to me and shape my understanding of what is happening here. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's the number one thing God is after. If you get nothing else in trials, that's what God is after. Listen to me. And it is a discipline. Again, this is very familiar territory to to you all. It is a discipline. It takes practice. It takes training to do that in hard times especially when you are listening and God still is not bringing the answer. (laughs) When the answer that God's going to give is not immediate or it's not at all obvious, it is a discipline to be still and know God is still God. God is still God. Israel, listen to me. And this is really crucial to remember, this, that God is after listening, because not only do we react when there's pressure, there is peer pressure to react when there's pressure. Because one of the things you'll find sometimes in being around other people is when there's a crisis, when there's a problem, when there's a need, other people start reacting. And if you don't react, they will start reacting to you for not grasping how bad this is. You know, like Caleb. He's like, you know, God promised us this land. Let's go get the giants. And everyone's ready to stone him because you clearly don't understand how God is, you know, what a wreck God has made of this. And so we have to listen and discipline ourselves to listen because it's not just your own heart that wants to fight against listening and just start being reactive. Other people are reacting, and it's real hard to listen. Listen to me. Listen to what? What does God want Israel to listen for? 
Well, for starters, verse 10, he wants them to listen to what seems like the most irrelevant thing in a crisis, but it's actually the most relevant thing in the world, and that is listen again to the godness of God. I am Yahweh, your God. I am. I still am. (laughs) I am who I am. Your God. That's what we need to hear. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out. You are free. You are in this wilderness and not under Pharaoh's lash because of me. That's the first thing we need to listen to. The most relevant thing in our situation when we are in trying times is that God is still here and now this God and he's our God who has redeemed us from every power that could possibly destroy us. He has crushed the serpent's head. He is still that God, amen? That's who he is and that hasn't changed. And that great victory in our history where God has broken our chains. He has set us free to be his people. That is still true. No weapon formed against you shall prosper because you belong to this God. And that's why he says in verse 9, there shall be no Israel, there shall be no strange God. Where are you going? Where are you going looking for another God? Don't bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. I will fill it. Will you listen? We need to listen until we really hear it again and hear it again and hear it again. God is still faithful here and now at the waters of Meribah. See, God seems like he is the true and living God and he's the the, the saving God when everything's easy. You know, and we're dancing on the right side of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's drowned, everything's good. But then here at the waters of Meribah when you feel like you're going to die of thirst and there's no obvious way to get water, He's still that God. He hasn't changed. You trust. You obey. He says, open your mouth, open your mouth. And what's the alternative, really? I wonder if you guys, I was a very young boy when I heard someone say, if you can't trust God, who are you going to trust? I've never really forgotten that. It preys on my mind in my faithless moments. You know, if, if, you, if you don't have this God, if, if he is not the God that he has revealed himself to be, who saved us out of the land of Egypt, broke the serpent's power. If he is not that God and you don't have him, then all you have is the crisis. That's all you got. You got the crisis, the situation, and whatever forces are at work in that situation, that is it. You know, good luck with that. But we have God. But that's just the initial answer. God wants us to listen. That's what he's after. But the reason God wants us to listen, to hear again his nature, his character, his works, his promises, his commands while we wait. The reason that God wants us to listen is not that God gets some kind of kick out of standing, us standing there with our mouths wide open, just kind of like, you know, waiting. The reason God wants us to listen and open our mouths is because he knows he is the only one who can fill it. And that's the fuller answer in verses 14 through 16. So we have that initial answer, listen to me, verses 8 through 13. But then in the final three verses of the, of the psalm, a fuller answer And we see here that God wants us to listen to him. He wants us to trust. He wants us to open our mouth because he wants us to be filled. (laughs) That's the point. God knows something that we actually kind of struggle to keep a hold of, and that is if you and I will not listen to God, if we will not trust God, 
If we will not wait for God, then we are absolutely going to be miserable. Why? Because if you're not going to listen to God, you're not going to trust God, you're not going to wait for God, what that means is you think that you're more qualified than God who made you and redeemed you to figure out what's good for you. That's, that's really what it means, beloved. If you won't listen and you won't wait and you won't trust and open your mouth before God, what that means is you think you're better qualified than God to figure out what's best for you and you will be miserable. God says in verse 12, have it your way. My people wouldn't listen. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And God will do that. You want to run your own life? You want to figure out what's best for you? Have it your way. And in that awful state, we won't receive. Our mouths will not be filled, not because God refuses to give. See, this is the thing. Sometimes we harden our hearts against the Lord, and then, you know, we go off and try to, you know, figure it out ourselves, and we don't wait, don't trust, don't listen, and then, you know, things get worse, and we're angry at God. (laughs) God's not holding out on us. We will not receive when we go our own way, not because God refuses to give, but because we are just too full of ourselves. And that really, when you think about it, that's just at the core of what we call the gospel, the good news. See, the the kind of dark side of the good news that gets you ready for the light side of the good news is that you and I do not have it all figured out. We really do not. I don't really know what my real problems are. I don't really know what my real needs are. I don't really know what my, even my deepest desires are. I have a sense of what will be good for Ben Miller, but I don't, I don't, it is above my pay grade to see in the big scheme of what God is doing, what will ultimately bring glory and blessedness and the deepest satisfaction that my God made me to hunger for. The gospel is in part that we do not have it all figured out. We don't understand what our real problems are, our real needs, our real desires, and we go worship all kinds of things we think will be better than God. And even if we were able to figure out, like, this is actually my problem, this is my need, this is my desire, we can't solve our own problems, we can't meet our own needs, we can't satisfy our deepest desires, we are fundamentally dependent on God and His grace. That's actually good news. And because God loves us so much, and we are quite stubborn about that, God regularly will put you and me in situations where we confront this basic issue again and again and again who knows what is best for me and who can deliver it? Who knows what is best for me and who can deliver it? Is it the God who gave us Jesus Christ, his son? Or is it our own grand selves with our big ideas about our own flourishing? That's what's going on at the waters of Meribah. God says to Israel, do you realize that if you open your mouth and you have me, I cannot just bring water out of a rock. I can bring some of that milk and honey y'all want out of the rock. And for the people reading this psalm centuries later in exile in Babylon, when it seems undeniably evil is winning, the enemies of the Lord, they are ru- they're running the world. God says, if you're with me, evil's not winning. Can I just say that to you guys in 2022? Evil's not winning. Y'all need to chill. Evil's not winning. If you listen to me, you walk in my ways. God doesn't have a problem subduing his enemies. Verse 14. He doesn't have a problem turning his hand against his foes. He has no difficulty making the haters cringe before him. He does not have any difficulty doing this. 
He has no problem smashing the nations with the rod of iron. Evil is not winning. You have God. Be at peace. Open your mouth. And he will fill it. It may take, it may take time. It may be ultimately at the end of the story. He will fill it. So I want to conclude with just two things from the psalm. One of these is hopeful. The other is practical. Two things. We have pondered God's initial answer, listen to me, and his fuller answer, because he wants to bless and fill us. Two things. Number one, something hopeful. And I really do mean this as encouragement, brothers and sisters. The reason God keeps shaking you is so you'll become unshakable. Do you realize that? The reason God keeps shaking you is because he wants you to become unshakable. God, I think God wants this a lot more than I do for me, actually, but God wants you, he wants me to have a fellowship with him that keeps our souls quiet as outward things shake. That's what God wants. He wants you and me to know him and walk with him in such a way that as everything is shaking, we have quiet in our hearts. You know how God brings you to that kind of maturity? What do you think? Don't overthink it. How do you think God brings you to a place where you have quiet in your soul, no matter what's shaking? Why he shakes you? Yes, he does. He shakes you. Because God doesn't want this thing we call the gospel, that in Christ, God is for you, and he is with you. He doesn't want that to be like spiritual elevator music in your life. That, you know, yeah, yeah, but this. No, I mean, God wants you to experience, beloved, resurrection power in your jar of clay where it is. He wants you to be in the midst of death and misery and difficult things and be experiencing the enlivening power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. He wants that for you. He wants this thing we call the gospel. Even here at Meribah, God is for me and God is with me and my heart is at peace. That's what God wants for you. That is resurrection power. That is life in the midst of death. It's not just background music. That's what God wants. He loves us that much. So you have to wonder again, so why are we so scandalized when things shake? You know, so often when Christians, when things get shaken, there's this anguish. I, I've failed. I, I've missed something. I must, I, must, I must just be more of a mess than I even knew. Why, why is God doing this to me? You know, how have I sinned? You know, maybe, maybe that's a good question to ask, but at the end of the day, what God is doing, even if he's showing you your sin, he's bringing you to him. You know, many Christians, you get very, we get very rattled. Maybe God isn't who we thought after all. God is shaking things to bring you to him. And what you discover as you walk with God through these trying times, as God is just shaking things, is you begin to discover something the Apostle Paul calls the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. That my Lord suffered. He experienced Opposition, obstacles, sorrow, pain, exhaustion, etc., rejection, betrayal. And here I am in the hard things of the world, but I'm here with Jesus. I'm here with Jesus. His life is working in my experiences of death. 
His father is my father too. And so for the Christian, there really can be, not in some smiley bumper sticker, you know, God loves you, everything's cool. No, God loves me and I'm, I'm getting the stuffing kicked out of me, but I am comfortable being uncomfortable because I'm with Jesus. I'm in fellowship with Christ. God is here. God is with me. God is for me. Open your mouth wide. I will fill it. That's why God shakes us. Second thing more quickly and very practically, especially if, you, if you're young, can I, can I just beg you? Practical thing. We really, really, really need to read our Bibles. Okay? We really, really, really need to read our Bibles. Because, you know, warm fuzzies about this sort of nice God in the sky who just wants you to be happy, that is a false God. That is a strange God. That is not the real God. And that God will not carry you through storms. It will not. Because it's a false God. If you and I are going to get through storms, we need to know the real God as he has revealed himself in his word. We need to read the word. We need to soak ourselves in it and soak our children in it. I mean, I know there are parts of the Bible that are hard to read. Like maybe just, I don't know, maybe skip Ezekiel and Leviticus for a while. But read the stories Read the stories. Read the stories again and again and ask yourself whether you're a person doing this on your own or with your family. What are you looking for as you read the stories? Basically, what you're looking for again and again is what sort of God does God show himself to be to those who wait for him? Man, we need to like, we need to be really immersed in that. Know the stories. Man, this feels like a Daniel moment. This feels like a Joseph moment. This feels like a Moses moment. This feels like an Esther moment. This feels like an Apostle Paul moment. This feels like a Barnabas moment. This feels like an Apollos moment. I feel like it might be John on the Isle of Patmos. Whatever it is, know the stories. What sort of God does God reveal himself to be to those who wait for him? Man does not live by bread and luxuries and pleasures and, and you know, stuff of this life alone, as wonderful as those things are. They're all shakable. Man lives by the word of God. Know your God, but you know him by knowing what he's said. Got to be reading our Bibles. Let's help each other do that. I hope this has been encouraging, beloved. A good song to memorize and just have your own little feast of booths. Remember the wilderness. God will bring you through it. Amen. Father, we ask you to establish, strengthen, and settle us as we meditate on you, your works, your promises, your presence, your purposes. In Jesus we pray.